Howdy folks, welcome to Lords of Order, the internet's premier DC character Dr. Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore, and this is episode 51. If you want to send salutations, congratulations, or thank yous, or just questions, or any kind of feedback, I'll take it all. You can send that to the Dr. Fate podcast at Gmail. The website is bigtimenoise.com slash drfate. Plenty of room for comments there. I also have pages for Lords of Order on Google Plus and Facebook. Even more room for comments there, should you feel inclined. Our book today is All-Star Squadron 23, which relates rather closely to the story we talked about in episode 48 from All-Star Squadron Annual 3. Which is interesting because Annual 3 came out in 1984 and this is cover dated July 1983. <laughs> Curious how that happens. This is written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Jerry Ordway, inked by Mike Mocklin, colored by Gene D'Angelo, and lettered by David Cody Weiss. Going to throw out a lot of names going through this one to get to the Dr. Fate stuff. Hang with me. Uh, All-Star Squadron is one of my top five favorite books of all time. There's a lot of cool characters. Roy Thomas did a killer job. A lot of names. If any of this sounds interesting to you, by all means, hit up Wikipedia. Pull the information that you need. Read some other DC material to get the backgrounds for these characters. The All-Star Squadron was basically the Justice Society of America during World War II because the Justice Society had been disbanded for most intents and purposes. Some characters fighting the war, some retiring, some show up quite frequently here in the All-Star Squadron. This was Roy Thomas's and Dan Thomas. Um, their opus to the Golden Age characters from D.C., and Roy Thomas did just an, a marvelous job with it. So we see in the second part of a story that uh, started up in the previous issue, issue 22, returning home from a mission against the ultra-humanite are Green Lantern, Alan Scott, Liberty Bell, Johnny Quick, and Commander Steel. Now they are the ones, basically, it turns out, that got away. Because the ultra-humanite was able to capture Robot Man, Superman, and Firebrand. They got left behind, which is... I thought you'd never leave a man behind. But apparently the All-Star Squadron does. Ultra-humanite also has a couple lackeys to keep throwing out the names here. Cyclotron and Deathbolt. If you want to add those to your check-into-it list. Everybody's tired. Everybody's worn out. Everybody's disappointed from being defeated disappointed that several members did not come back, that they you know, will have to go out again to try to get those members. Liberty Bell is particularly showing the toll. Johnny Quick decides to take this opportunity for whatever reason to hit on her. They are a romantic couple, but I think Johnny's timing is just way, way off here. Liberty Bell kind of pushes back at him. Johnny gets hurt because of ongoing situations romantically between the two and heads off feeling that he can find the ultra-humanite and do what needs to be done without anyone else's help. 
do what needs to be done, rescuing his compatriots, Robot Man, Superman, Firebrand. Green Lantern agrees that Liberty Bell needs uh, some assistance, needs to be checked into, so they go off to a doctor, leaving Commander Steel, who is here, A, to hold down the fort, and B, to work on a recently acquired very large robot called Electro. In a a moment of uh, weakness himself, both physically and mentally, Steel gives in to bemoaning his fate. He is USMC Private Hank Hayward, injured in battle and has undergone some physical changes to become this Commander Steel. Changes that cannot be undone or redone. He is who and what he is. Kind of like Cyborg for the Teen Titans. You know, he he's at a place that regardless of whether he likes it or not, he's in that place. That's That's what he's got. We shift to Hawkman, Dr. Fate, and Adam. Uh, Dr. Fate has received some, received some weird psychic emanations from Inza at his tower in Massachusetts, Salem, Massachusetts. They're heading there. On the way, Hawkman decides he's going to veer off and take care of some personal things that he's got. Says they'll meet back up either at the Smithsonian, which I believe at this point is where Carter Hall works, or at the Parisphere which is the headquarters of the All-Star Squadron, a remnant of a recent World's Fair that was held in New York slash New Jersey. 1939, maybe, was that World's Fair? I'm not exactly sure of the year. Along the way, Dr. Fate and Adam, as they're traveling, Dr. Fate recounts in six panels his origin to the atom. Uh, most of it is staying the same as, as what we have up to this point. We have an archaeological expedition between Kent and his, or with Kent and his, his father. His father finds the tomb of Nabu, opens it, releases a gas that kills him, doesn't hurt Kent, releasing Nabu. Nabu, uh, for whatever reason, apparently perhaps feeling bad in payment, perhaps because he sees a potential avatar, trains Kent for many, many years, teaching him levitation, increasing his physical strength, his invulnerability, except for his lungs, Dr. Fate states here, and we've seen that recently in the Golden Age books, some more fun comics. At one point, to show his ability, he destroys the body in Duel, the body of Nabu, revealing that Nabu was really an energy being from the planet Cilia, donning the cloak, amulet, and helmet of fate, he becomes Dr. Fate. Full mask, Dr. Fate. Adam then mentions the decrease in power and the half mask that Kent Nelson is currently wearing, which we saw also, most recently in More Fun Comics. Another story, Dr. Fate tells about how at the end of the previous mission, which would be the mission written about in the All-Star Comics Annual, he returns home very um, confused, not, not sure what to do, not in full mentality, not at full power, 
discusses with Enza about the helmet. She helps him take it off because he is not able to by himself suggested, I believe, because of the power that the helmet has over him. The helmet does not want to leave his head, so it is kind of difficult for him to do. But they get the helmet off. He throws the helmet aside. Now, this is the full helmet, the full face helmet. Never going to wear that thing again. I don't like how it feels. I don't like what it does. I'm not putting it back on. Inza agrees. She's all for that. She had noticed over time changes in Kent's personality while he had the helmet on, but also personality changes from time to time to time after he had already had the helmet off. He tells Adam, who uh, this Adam is Al Pratt, by the way, that that was several months ago. They reach the tower, they phase through, find that Inza is recovering from having been knocked unconscious. Someone is in the tower, someone is trying to gain possession of the full helmet of fate, full face helmet of fate. Downstairs, Adam and Dr. Fate rush downstairs and come face-to-face with the character that we will come to know as All-Star Squadron readers as Amazing Man. Uh, this is a an African-American, uh, if you will. I would prefer to say black superhero. This is his origin story. At this point in the All-Star Squadron, I don't recall that he has appeared yet. This may be his very first appearance. They go to throw down. Adam attacks Amazing Man first. We see that Amazing Man at least has the power to take on the physical properties of anything he touches. He touches the wall of the Tower of Fate and he becomes comprised of stone, but still able to move and run and jump and do all that. Just made of stone. He attacks Dr. Fate. Fate dodges. Amazing Man goes through the wall. He reappears, touches a shield that is hanging down on the wall, and becomes what looks to be gold, but I would assume must be bronze or something like that. Although, a recovered Adam grabs up a piece of wood and breaks it over the head of Amazing Man, and it has no effect. So, I'm not sure what metal that shield was made of, but it's something pretty substantial. He, Amazing Man, once again, knocks Adam to the side. Uh, For those of you that may or may not know, Al Pratt, the Adam, really has no superpowers. He has no abilities. He is a peak physical specimen, uh, much like Captain America. Excuse me, wrong company. Much like Batman is. Uh, But he used to be a world-class heavyweight boxer. So that's why he has the physical prowess, and he has turned it into um, being a boxer, much like Wildcat. The uh, Amazing Man attacks Dr. Fate. Dr. Fate has to stop because he has to rescue the orb of Nabu from falling and shattering. When he stops... Amazing Man attacks him from behind, having now turned himself to wood, knocks Dr. Fate out. 
Adam already having been knocked out when Amazing Man was made of whatever metal that was. Just as he's about to touch Amazing Man, the helmet of fate to absorb some of the properties of the helmet, Adam grabs his hand, causing Amazing Man to transform back into flesh and blood, at which point he promptly grabs him by the arm and slams him face-first into the nearest wall, knocking Amazing Man unconscious. Fate recovers. Enza rushes down. Oh, are you okay? Are you okay? You know, like women of this time period are uh, portrayed as, as acting. They take Amazing Man, drag him over to the orb of Naboo and put his hand on it. And it forces him to talk, forces him to answer questions. And immediately Dr. Fate asks... Uh, about him want to know all about you is is how they frame the question so we have the origin of amazing man he was born uh, in the south the son of a sharecropper during the late 20s his name is will everett he was an olympic athlete that was in the 36 olympics in germany with jesse owens he watched as his dad lost his job, the depression's coming on. He watched as his mom and dad had to sacrifice to make sure he stayed in school and got his chance, ultimately, which was the Olympics. But he found that those Olympics did not turn into anything for him afterward. They did not afford him any more opportunity than he had had prior to that. origin details you know how how bad things are getting for him he's excuse me gotten a job watching a laboratory for a dr curtis but dr curtis disappears leaving everett there to clean the place having paid him ahead of time well in the midst of of one of these days while he's there cleaning a couple thugs break in to steal whatever things might be of interest to their boss that has been left at the lab and when Everett wakes up he finds out that he's been put in this weird uniform and is manacled to this slab in this scientific-y part of a cave of the ultra-humanite she juices him with some kind of power the machine overloads out of the rubble Amazing Man appears metallic. He attacks, can't be stopped, plays around with his powers a little bit, finds finds out he can change it to this, he can change it to that. Just as the ult- other cronies for the Ultra-Humanite start to attack Everett to subdue him, Ultra-Humanite puts a stop to it and asks Everett to work for her and says she will make it worth his, his time. And that's something he hasn't had up until this point, is something that's worth his time and effort. He agrees. The first mission she gives him is to nab the Helmet of Fate from Dr. Fate's tower. She tells him if he concentrates, Ultra Humanite tells Will Everett, if you concentrate, you can be, you can become part of and ultimately pass through what you're touching. So 
outside the tower, he touches the wall, he turns into the wall, passes into and finally through the wall until he's inside. He surprises Enza. She freaks out, knocks herself out in the freakout. Amazing Man grabs the helmet and tries to phase, in essence, back through the wall, but finds out that he cannot change the properties of the helmet, so the helmet will not travel with him. Now he's uh, he's got to try to figure out another way to get through, and before he can do that, he, in turn, is surprised by the appearance of Dr. Fate in the Atom. One of the things that Dr. Fate came there ultimately to the tower to do also rescue Enza, who he knew was in trouble, but also he went to take back the full helm of fate because with all the bad things that are happening to the All-Star Squadron, they need a powerful ally. The Spectre, it turns out, has disappeared and is at parts unknown as well. So the other mystical heavy hitter on the team is gone. Superman, who is a more uh, uh, typical, shall we say, heavy hitter, has been captured. So they are All-Star Squadron is severely short on heavy hitters. Kent feels that he can make that up by once again donning the full helm. He puts it on, resumes that off-putting personality because he is being indwelt or controlled by Nabu or whatever you want to call it. Puts off Inza. She barks out at him, tries to apologize, but he's already gone. Back to the Paris Sphere with Adam and Amazing Man in tow. We have the announcement here that the next issue, the Ultra Strikes, which is the Ultra Humanite, enter Batman and Robin plus Brain Waves back in town. Or is he? So there's just a whole bunch of other names to throw out this episode, this issue. And... That, I believe, is uh, is everything for this episode. I really like All-Star Squadron, guys. I, I, I highly, highly recommend that book. If you're looking for something older to pick up and read, it's only about 60 or 70 issues, I think, somewhere in there total. It was canceled because of Crisis on Infinite Earths, I believe, and the combining of the timeline and all that jerking around that they did so looking here it looks like next episode episode 52 will be the current dr fate issue five so we'll see you guys then ciao lords of order is a teal production and as such is licensed under a creative commons attribution non-commercial non-derivative 3.0 unported license 